Good morning, guys. It's good to see you all here this morning, and those over that are over in the venue and online, thanks for joining us today in the pressure cooker. How you doing? Enjoying the pressure? Enjoying the cook? All right. It's going to uh, join the results. There you go. There you go. Well, my name is Brian Klein. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and it is my oppor- great opportunity to be able to speak to you today. And um, we've been talking, been going through the book of 1 Peter, and we've been teaching on the basis, basis of what we call a SOAP method of Bible study. And uh, SOAP method, S-O-A-P, Scripture. And when you read the Scripture, then you observe what it says, okay? You're going in, and you observe what it says, and then you apply what you observed, and then you pray and ask God to do the work, help do that to uh, change in your life, okay? And so we've been talking about that, and I'm going to review a little bit what Adrian reviewed last uh, week in the, in the area of what we've journeyed through in the book of 1 Peter. The first thing we talked about is your behavior flows from your identity. Your behavior flows from your identity. And the second area is you are God's people. But guess what? That means you will also suffer. Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So in the midst of our sufferings, Jesus is the one that we stay connected to to be able to journey through those sufferings so that we can become better, not bitter. Better, not bitter. And we do that by how we respond to the pressure cooker. How are we responding to the pressure cooker of life? 2020 is the year of the pressure cooker, is it not? Seriously. I mean, I mean, it's a year of unfounded um, things that are happening in our lives that we've never thought in our life that we'd ever, ever experience. And it's been the pressure cooker that has really impacted our lives in such a powerful way. And Adrian did a great job last week about not becoming bitter, but becoming better. You know, remove the I, okay? Remove the I and let Jesus come in and replace it with the E, with eternal perspective. And you become not bitter anymore. You become better because you're looking at it through, through the eternal perspective. Today, we're going to lather up, okay? We're going to lather up. We're going to get into the Word. We're going to get into 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 5, okay? So if you take your Bibles, if you have um, the good old... The good old Bible like this, take it and open it up, 1 Peter, you go back to Revelation and then go to your left a little bit, you should find 1 Peter, okay? If you have your phone with you, you know, you could find that, all right? If, you, if you've got your smartphone, let the smartphone try to find it for you, okay? See how smart it is, all right? Uh, and uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. I want to share a story with you that I read this week that really kind of sets the tone for um, the message this morning. It's a true story, a story about two gentlemen that met each other and had this conversation. I'm just going to read 
how this gentleman perceived this conversation with the other gentleman. They were totally strangers at one point, but it's an interesting dialogue that they had. It says, eventually we began to talk about faith in church. I'm not sure how the topic shifted in that direction, but it did so, so I went along for the ride. He was a pleasant man, full of joy. As he spoke, he became very adamant about telling me his collection plate contribution habits. He said each week he makes a donation in the collection plate for the church he attends. But he always takes change from the larger amount he donates as the plate goes by. The gentleman said, I could tell he was bracing himself for an argumentative conversation. Silently assuming, I would say that he shouldn't take change from the collection plate. He repeated himself, almost combatively, even though I hadn't given him any indication as how I felt or how I would respond. It seemed to me as though he was, he was trying to make a point. He said, adamantly, he said, I should be able to take change if I want to. I should be able to donate any amount that I want to, and if I want to make change from the collection plate, when it comes by, I'm going to make change. Then he stopped speaking and looked directly at me, the gentleman said, waiting for my response. I could tell this conversation had taken place the exact same way many other times, because he decided in advance that I was going to disagree with him. Finally, after a long pause, I gathered my thoughts and I said to him, Sir, if you want to make change for your donation, you can make change. You're free to give as much or as little as you want. That's your choice. But let me ask you this. You do not, do you make change from the collection plate every week? Because if you do, why don't you just make the effort to bring the exact change amount in the first place? Maybe there is a completely practical reason you can't. I don't know, sir. If you simply can't make the change in advance, that's one thing. But if you're motivated to draw attention to yourself, then that's another thing. I could be wrong, but it seems to me you're more interested in making a point about taking change from your donation and your free will to do so than you are about actually donating the specific amount. Sir, what is your motive? Either way, this gentleman said, I think we, ask our, we need to ask ourselves repeatedly, what are our motives in all situations? The question points us to truth. The truth will serve as well as the overarching truth of life. And this morning, I want you to know that in the midst of adversity, in the midst of what you're facing today, in the midst of adversity, our motives within our heart are instrumental to the spiritual health for everyone. 
The motives in our heart are instrumental to the health of everyone. What do we mean by motive? Motive is something that causes a person to act or do certain things. Most often it has to do with the position of our heart. I love Proverbs 16.2. And actually Proverbs 16.2 should always be a verse that we go to before we post something on Facebook, before we tweet something on our Twitter, and uh, before we even engage in a conversation with someone about our current situations. Proverbs 16.2 says, All man's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. All you have to do is spend some time on Facebook, and every person that has posted something on Facebook immediately, immediately thinks that what they're saying is pure and right, and there's nothing wrong with it. Right? But you have to ask yourself, what is my motive for posting it? What's really behind this? So let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Verses 1 through 5. And let's lather up here a little bit this morning. Let's get a little soap on our soul, a little soap in our mind, a little soap in our heart. Let's take and let's open ourselves up and add the water of the word to a little soap and let's get lathered up and let God kind of clean us up. God's kind of cleaned me up as I've studied this passage myself. So 1 Peter chapter Five, verses 1 through 5, we're going to just dive through this. We're going to walk through this passage. In the first very first part of this verse, it says, To the elders among you. Man, when I first saw that and Adrian said this, the passage I'm going to read, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to talk about the elders. Oh, good night. My job's on the line. Thanks a lot, Adrian. You gave me the elder passage. You know? But one of the things that Peter does here in 1 Peter 1, uh, 5, verse 1, is he sets this. He says, To the elders among you, I what? I appeal as a fellow elder. So the first point I want us to understand in verse 1 is this it's crucial in the midst of In the midst of adversity, in the midst of the pressure cooker that you and I are in, it's always important uh, to have this, to have a proper motive in the midst of the pressure cooker, always never forget where you've come. Never forget from where you've come. This is what Peter did. Peter did not forget from where he had come. He says, you know what, as... I'm I'm writing to all you elders. We're going to talk about what that means here in a moment. But he says, I'm I'm talking to all you elders, all you elders from all the churches in 1 Peter 1.1, of all those regions in Asia that that they had been scattered to. All those churches, he's addressing to all the elders. Okay? But he says, I come to you as a fellow elder. Now, you got to think about this. This is Peter. Peter, the one of the inner circle when Jesus was choosing the disciples. Peter, the one that Jesus said to Peter, upon you, you are my rock. Upon the you, the church will be built, will be founded. You're going to lay the foundation. Peter, you're the one. 
And Peter could have said in his uh, flexed his authority muscle and said, hey, listen, I've been tagged by Jesus to really direct you, and I have the authority to do this, but he doesn't do that. He remembers from where he came from. He says, I am, I am a fellow elder just like every one of you. I'm nothing better, nothing bigger, nothing more important than any of you that are overseeing the church body in all the different areas. I am a fellow elder. I'm appealing to you at your level, not as someone that's trying to tell you how and flex my muscle to tell you how I should be. Now, what do we mean by elder? Means someone a little older than you? More likely could be. May not be. But elder here basically is a position of spiritual authority within the church, leadership authority, okay? And if you'd go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, we're not going to look at that. That's a, that's a whole nother sermon in and of itself, but gives the qualification of what an elder is. In fact, in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 12, it called, there's two words that flip throughout Scripture. Elder and overseer are one and the same, okay? So they're in a position of spiritual authority in the church that have met certain biblical character requirements of their walk with God, okay? And so Peter is saying to, to the churches that have been scattered abroad because of the adversity and because of the difficulty, I'm appealing to you as a fellow elder. Peter, the one that denied Jesus three times. He says here, I appeal to you as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings. He wasn't bragging about this. He said, I, I, I walked the walk of what it was like to, to see Jesus Christ suffer on our behalf. I saw it. In the midst of seeing it, I also experienced it in my life that I became the one that in the midst of the pressure cooker of life, in the midst of the highest pressure cooker I faced, what did I end up doing? I ended up denying Jesus not only once, not only twice, but I denied him three times in the midst of the pressure cooker. I being the one that saw the sufferings of Jesus and knowing that I denied Jesus, that I even knew him. Oh, Peter did not want to forget from where he's come. And listen, in today, in 2020, the pressure cooker's there, isn't it? And the pressure cooker's there, and we could get caught up into all the surroundings of the environment and everything. And all of a sudden, we could come to that point where either we're going to stand for Jesus or we're going to give in to the pressure. And Jesus said here, I remember the sufferings of Christ. So I appeal to you as a fellow elder. Here's some things that I want you all to do because our motive during adversity is so vital in our lives. You see, we must never forget where we have come from. We must never forget the work that Christ has done for you and for me. We must never forget where you are today and how you became where you are today because of what Jesus Christ, how he has suffered for you and I. We must never forget that in the midst of adversity. In the midst of the challenges of life, let's not forget 
the very thing of what, through which we have come from through Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross for us. So our motives play a vital role in the times of adversity. And so Peter goes on and he says, I want to appeal to you as fellow elders and I want to address to you how you are to lead your churches in the midst of adversity. And the very first thing he says in verse 2 is this, be shepherds. Be shepherds of God's flock. I underline shepherds. I underline shepherds in there because that's the first thing that he's asked us to do. No matter what our position is, no matter what we have been tagged to be uh, as a leader or whatever our status is in, in the government of a church or in a body of believers, the first thing Peter says here, I want you to be a shepherd. I want you to be a shepherd. Could you remember that time when Jesus denied uh, when Peter denied Jesus three times, and then Jesus rose again from the, from the grave, and then, then he meets Jesus at the shore. He was fishing. Uh, Jesus met Peter there, and he meets Peter at the shore, and he's cooking these fish. And he says to Peter what? Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, oh, God, Jesus, I do love you. And then what does Jesus say? Then feed my sheep. And then he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? He says, Jesus, you know. You know where my love is. Then Jesus says to Peter, then take care of my sheep. And then the third time, he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me more than these? Do you really love me more than your opinion? Do you really love me more than what your capacity of what you're familiar with? Do you really love me? And Jesus, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, you just know my heart. You know what my love is for you. I've been broken since I've denied you. And Jesus was re restoring Peter back into to, to, uh, relationship with Jesus here. And Jesus says, then feed and take care of my sheep. So what was Jesus saying to Peter? He says, Peter, you're going to be the rock, but you're going to need to be the shepherd. You need to be the shepherd, brother. I'm going to hand you a flock of sheep, and you're going to need to shepherd and to care for them. And so he says, how does a shepherd do this? He says, be the shepherd of whose flock? God's flock. Man, I circle that. This is God's flock. This isn't, these aren't my people. These aren't uh, who uh, I, I've drummed up to follow with me. These are God's people, God's flock. That is under what? Your care. Wow. That's pretty weighty, is it not? That is under your care. And then he says, watching over them. Watching over them. So what does a shepherd do? Shepherd, number one, watches over his flock, right? Watches over his flock, notices if one of them starts to act a little quirky. And guess what? If we're the flock, we're all kind of a little quirky, aren't we? But, they, but, but the role of the leaders of the church is to, to get to know the flock. 
As an elder, we're to, get, we're to shepherd the flock. As, as leaders, we're to shepherd the flock. We're to, we're to get to know our sheep. We get to know those that God has placed under our care. You have been come here because God wants us to, to shepherd you, to help you navigate through the adversities of life, through the pressure cooker of life. And what do we, how do we do that? We get into the Word and we teach you how to lather up with the soap of God's Word to have the proper perspective and proper insights. So what does he say? He now breaks it down. He says, now here's the motive between how an elder or a shepherd should work. Okay? So he makes a list. Follow along with me here in the verse. Watching over them, not because you what? Must. I underlined that, Brian. Not do, don't do this because you must. Don't do this because it's a job. Don't do this because you have to. Not, if, if you're doing it that way, you're not doing it with the right motive. Okay? Not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be. So you don't choose how much you're willing. You're willing your willingness comes through what God has laid upon your heart to be willing to do. When God prompts your heart, take care of the sheep. Watch over them. Uh, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to. And then he lists another thing. Not pursuing dishonest gain. But, notice the word, but, continually reminds us there's a contrast here. There's different motives. Are you doing it for yourself? Are you doing it for status? Are you doing it that you're, you're thinking, wow, I'm the elder of the church. Aren't I important? But eager to serve. A man that's willing to be able to see that there's a, a need that needs to be done and is willing to go and do that need and not feel like they have to tell someone else, hey, you know what, you should go do that. But if they see it, they do it. Just like Jesus, when he saw that the disciples hadn't washed uh, their feet around the Last Supper, he gets up, put a towel around himself, bends at his knee to the feet of the disciples and washes their feet. And he tells them, as I have done to you, you do to each other. Be shepherd of your flock. Serve them. Wash their feet. Care for them. And then he says this, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Not lording it over. Not wanting to be the boss. Not wanting to be the one that makes the decisions but doesn't get involved in how to make the decisions. Doesn't get involved in how, how to make it happen. Not demanding. Not, not sitting in an expectation role and saying this is how it should be done and then not getting involved in, in making sure it's taken care of that way. But being an example. So when I read that, those verses, verses 2 through 4, you know, the, I said, God, what, what is it that you're saying here? And he's saying, Brian, I don't want you to be large and in charge. I want you to be humble and helpful. No matter what your position is, shepherd the flock. Don't be large and in charge. But be willing to be humble, humble and helpful. Why? Because it affects how the sheep are feeling 
like they're being taken care of. You see, a shepherd doesn't drive the sheep. A shepherd leads the sheep. As a spiritual leader, we don't drive others. We help lead them into, a, into an intimate walk with God. We're not large and in charge. God forbid, there are many times that I have stepped into being large and in charge. And I'm telling you, it never worked really well. Okay? Did not work well at all. And I had to confess it, and I had to go back, and I had to apologize, and I had to say, I'm sorry, I was not meeting you at the level that you need to be met with. I wasn't caring for your soul and your heart. I wasn't hearing where you are because I was thinking I could change you when ultimately it's Jesus that does that. I just get to be a part of it. I'm not large and in charge. I need to be humble and helpful. I need to get to know my sheep, but... The other area is this. What's the overall conclusion? It's in relation to our future outcome. What does it say? Peter says, I just want you to know this. When the chief shepherd appears, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. When the chief shepherd appears, what would it be like if all of a sudden Jesus showed up here and he would say, okay, how's the flock doing? It'd be like, whoo, that's like, it's the big guy, Right? It's like the boss, he's showing up to see how you've been doing while he's been gone all this time. And he's looking at the sheep and he's saying, have they been taken care of? Have they been fed? Are they well fed? Have they been well led? Have they, you know, when the chief shepherd appears in the time of adversity, you will receive your crown of glory. So I want you to know that sometimes as a shepherd, sometimes we have to come alongside our sheep and say some hard things because we love we love you, we care for you, we want to help you, we want to divert you from going down the path of danger and harm to yourself, according to God's word, not according to our own word. Then the very last part is this. The very last part, he says, now, now some of you have been sitting there going, well, I'm not an elder, so this, this sermon's kind of a piece of cake. I don't have to worry about this one. Boy, the elders are getting, getting a full load. Look at verse 5 says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. You could do a mic drop right there, you know. What is he saying? He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. What he's saying is this, overall, what is your motive? Is it to know and to grow? In the same way. In what same way? In the same way. You, it's not because you must come to church, but are you willing to come to church? And it's not that because you want to do it to gain a position of status before others, but are you willing to be eager to serve in that process? What is it that in the same way, what must you do? Not that you're lording it over someone else, but that you're willing to be an example to others of what it means to live the Christ-like life. In the same way, you, the rest of the church, follow the leading and the shepherding of your leaders. So you thought you got off of that one, didn't you? God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. You see, Peter reminds me of a story um, of an account in the Gospels. 
Jesus was talking to the disciples, and he says, you know, I'm going I'm to die on the cross. I'm going I'm, I'm to be crucified. And, and the disciples are like, what? I mean, what's going on? Things are going well. There's been growth. There's life been happening. Now you're going you're gonna to die on the cross? And, and Peter, the man that was large and in charge, okay? Peter says, Jesus, come here. Come here. And it says in Matthew 16, 22, that, that Peter took Jesus aside and told Jesus. Now, he told Jesus, Okay? And we look at it and go, oh my, right? He told Jesus, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said what? Get behind me, Satan. I want to just pause right after that phrase right there. He wasn't calling Peter Satan what Jesus was doing here, he wasn't speaking to Peter, the person, as Satan, but he was speaking to the motive that was coming from Peter's heart. That was the motive that was coming from the enemy, Satan himself. And he qualifies it. He says, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You know, I'm just wondering if maybe we should take that last phrase that Jesus said there, and we should maybe use that as a filter for when we feel like we have to speak to someone about something, or we're going to post something, or we're going to reply to something on Facebook. What, what's my motive behind wanting to do this? What's my motive by, behind me sharing my opinion? What's my motive behind me saying to someone that this is what I should do and, and this is how I should correct them? What's my motive? Because Jesus said, do you have in mind the things that, come, that concern God or are they just your own human concerns? goes back to Proverbs 16, 2. All man's ways seem pure to them. But motives are weighed by the Lord. Motives are weighed by the Lord. Jesus called out the motive within Peter's heart. I want to share a story of a pastor of a large church in Dallas, Texas, in closing. A church of 11,000, four campuses. About two months ago, this pastor stepped down from his church. He stood before his church and said, I've got to step down. It wasn't because of any disqualifying sin. It wasn't any sexual immorality. It wasn't because of their financial misconduct. It wasn't because he used foul language. It was because the elders and some people in the church had come to him and say, Pastor, I think you've got pride in your heart. And he wasn't willing to hear that from the onset. And that pastor, some of you may know, a well-known pastor, Pastor Todd Wagner of the Watermark Community Church. And Pastor Todd Wagner posted this. He said, 
I got to the point in ministry where I was just not listening enough. I have become short and irritable. I am invalidating at times. I'm impatient enough that people were noticing a difference. What does that sound like to you? Sounds like the, the Pastor Todd Wagner was at a point of being large and in charge, does it not? And we have a quote here. He said this, Pride is simply not being overly impressed with who you think you are in terms of accomplishment. Looks or position, it has most often to do with the position of the heart. It's got to go with listening, not being as, and being, not being as hard on yourself as you are with others. It's not humbling yourself to listen to others. It's not thinking of God first and others first. Motive is all about the reason we do what we do, either positively or negatively. So something we should ask ourselves, even though it seems to be pure at the onset, as Proverbs 16.2 says, in the midst of of all of this adversity of the pressure cooker of life in 2020, we must ask ourselves these questions as application. When I'm ready to post, is this, do I have in mind the things that are concerning of God or are these concerning of my human self? What is my motive for the way I treated the person at work today? What is the motive be behind how I treated someone at my home today? What is the motive behind me tweeting or posting or replying to a post? We must put that in check because you may think you may have the most purest, innocent, but ask yourself, what is behind? Because God weighs the motives of our heart. In Proverbs, in 1 Peter 5, it says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. What is the motive when you want to say to someone, I'm just going to get real here, that wears a mask all the time? And you don't believe in wearing a mask all the time. But you feel like you have the right to be able to say something about that person and be able to make a judgment call about why they're doing that. What's the motive behind that? Because the pressure cooker has caused that within the church. It really has. If you really look at it, it really, really has. What is the motive to respond to that which I disagree What's my motive? Am I shepherding? Or am I trying to be large and in charge? Am I being humble and helpful? Or am I just one to flex that I know better than you? Pretty strong words in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. Peter didn't cutting slack to the leaders or to the rest of the church body. He draws a line, he says this. It's a great time to pause and reflect. You know, today we're going to take communion. 
Man, I'm telling you, there's no better thing to do right now is to ask Jesus, our chief shepherd, right where you're sitting, to ask Jesus, your chief shepherd, the one who suffered for you and for me, the one who gave his life on your behalf for you and I, the one who gave his life to us. What is the source of my motive today? Am I large and in charge? Am I choosing to obey what I want to obey through God's word and the stuff I don't like, I'm going to be in charge, I'm going to call it my own way? Or am I humble and teachable? Am I willing to submit to my chief shepherd, Jesus? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Today, do this in remembrance of me. Remembering his example of a humble service. Remember the example of having a servant's heart. Remember the example when he got down on his knee and he wrote on the ground in front of the woman caught in adultery. It says, he who without sin cast the first stone. It says, sister, where are your accusers? They've all left. And, she, and, and Jesus steps up and looks her in the face and says, neither do I accuse you. Now go and sin no more. The one that walked, got up from the last supper table and got the water basin out and got the towel and now at the dirty feet of each of his disciples. That kind, of, that kind of a shepherd that bowed and washed the feet and said, listen, as you have come to see that I've washed your feet, now you go do likewise. And that's what First Peter says, we need to be, treat each other with humility. We have so much to learn from each other rather than trying to be opinionated and trying to be uh, something that we think we know it all, we do far better as a church to take the better road of loving each other and caring for each other and shepherding each other in remembrance of what Jesus modeled for us today. You may take the communion cup and you hold it in your hand and you take and you take the little cellophane piece off of there. I want you to take a few moments as you hold that piece that represents the body of Jesus Christ. That he was willing to lay down the life for you and for me. What I want you to do in the silence of right where you are you ask God, God, check my motives. God, how am I living my life in the midst of the pressure cooker of 2020? God, am I trying to be large and in charge? Or am I willing to be humble and teachable for your glory? Let's take a few moments to yourself.
Jesus, I kneel. I kneel before you. And Lord, I have to confess that there are times that I've lived my life this past week large and in charge, trying to do things my way. Thank you, Jesus, that you modeled for each and every one of us. What it means to serve, what it means to live a humble life. We do this in remembrance of you, Jesus. We remember the sufferings that you went through on our behalf. We remember where we've come from, where we once were before you entered into our life. Thank you, Jesus. We do this in remembrance of you, the body that was broken so that our brokenness could be healed. In Jesus' name, amen. You may take the bread. After Jesus uh, took the bread, he also took the cup and he passed the cup. And he said, this cup. You know, it's a good thing Jesus didn't have a cellophane on top of his cup, right? Seriously. But he took the cup. And this is the beauty of it all today. This is the beauty of it all because no matter if we've been large and in charge, we could come to Jesus and we could say, Jesus, I humbly come before you and I, I want to I follow you. I want to be teachable. I want you to, to renew my heart. It's been, it's been in the wrong place. And Jesus said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. That will wash it all away and give you a new beginning. And often as you drink this cup, do it in remembrance that you have been forgiven, been washed clean. And I am your Savior and your Lord, and you are my sheep. You may take of the cup. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the truth of your word and the power of your word. And, Lord, today, as we walk away today, may our motive be we want to we go about living our life with the, in the mind of the things that concern you, O oh God, in your kingdom, in how we treat each other and how we treat those in this world. We represent a whole other kingdom. Thank you for being our chief shepherd, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.